Hello, I'm Elliot Knight, Director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Welcome to Alabama Arts Radio. Each week, Council staff will introduce you to exceptional artists and special people who make the arts happen in Alabama. Alabama Arts Radio features the visual, performing, literary, and folk arts that contribute to our state's rich cultural heritage. Join us each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Central to explore the diverse and dynamic arts landscape in Alabama. When a story captures the imagination of the community, it can live long past the time when the events took place. In Mobile, the story of the Boynton Oak is a good example. The city is full of oak trees, but this one stands out because of the legend associated with it. Tonight, we'll learn more about this tale that involves a love story, a murder, and an oak tree that grew from the grave of a man who protested his innocence. All this occurred in 1834. Today, the oak tree still stands and has inspired books, plays, and a song. We'll talk with Mary Palmer about her book and the play she's written to commemorate the story. Mary, tell us about the Boynton Oak and why it's important. Okay, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. This story is fascinating. It's intriguing and it has it all. It has crime and history and romance and mystery. It started when uh, Boynton came to Mobile in 1833 as a printer and a poet, and he was also a musician. He was moving here from New Haven, Connecticut. At the time, Mobile only had 3,190 people, but it was a pocket of society that was growing fast, and he recognized that. And he took care of his boarding house roommate, Nathaniel Frost, who had consumption, which is TB, but he was very ill, and he was also a printer. The day Charles left town, Frost was murdered in the Church Street graveyard. It's right near the library for those of you who are not from this area. And he was was arrested right away and accused of the crime. He got on a boat, got part of the way up to near Claiborne, Alabama, and was arrested there. And then he was convicted of the crime. He wrote poems to Rose while in jail, shackled to the wall. And they were published, though, in the paper. They were so good that the local papers published them. And when he was hanged for the crime, he was age 19. He said, sooner or later, an oak tree will grow from my grave to prove my innocence. Well, a lot of oaks grow in the Church Street graveyard where he's buried in Potter's Field. But this one grew right away, and it's still there. It still stands 186 years later now. So you can see my website if you want to know more about the story. It's www.maryspalma.com, or it's on Challenging Atticus, done by Matt Green. The play, The Truth is in the Tree, was produced at Gulf Quest March the 13th, and it was right before COVID came to a crisis and they shut everything down. We had a good crowd there at Oakley. Eric Brown was the producer, and Gavin Reeves was Boynton. Attorney David Peeler was the uh, minister who counseled Boynton in jail and believed he was guilty the whole time, walked with him to the gallows. And Elizabeth Phelps was Rose, and she also produced um, the first play. Okay, We formed the Boynton Oak Society 
And with a grant from the Pomeroy Foundation, we got a marker to replace the one who's, that had been missing since 1971 with help from a Historic Mobile Preservation Society. Now we installed it the day of the play. Now, with the Boeing Oak Society history as being preserved, we plan to produce the play annually, beginning with May 22nd and May 23rd this year. And Dr. Thomas Rowell will be this producer. He is a professor of music at the University of South Alabama. We'll have a Boynton Oak Festival. There'll be four events there. Have the play. We'll have an autographed book. And we'll have a tour of Oakley and a tour on the trolley, sort of in the footsteps of Charles R.S. Boynton, which will go downtown and go to the County Charlotte, which is Mobile's first jail where Boynton was incarcerated. Another thing that we're working on is a posthumous pardon. And Representative Victor Gaston's pro tem is getting a new law drafted. It was a law in place for the Scottsboro brothers in 1931. They were convicted of a rape up in Scottsboro, Alabama, and they all got exonerated later. At this time, the law states that it has to be racial discrimination, but we're getting through Victor Gaston, through the legal counsel. He's having the law amended to make it so that other people would be involved. It'd be more inclusive and he will present it to the legislature. And he said it's doable to get this done. It's it's a deep thing. An injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, Martin Luther King said. So that certainly applies in this case. And since Charles Boynton had two uh, unqualified jurors, one was a British citizen and the other believed he was guilty before the trial started. So that was one reason that there should have been mistrial. And that's the reason for the pardon, not that he was innocent or anything like that. We're not trying to prove that. We're just trying to prove that he should have been uh, given a better trial. And it was unjust. So all of Boynton case was also based on circumstantial evidence. And that's been changed since this, this case changed that. It changed the way jurors were chosen. And we have found descendants of Boynton. For example, Preston Boynton lives in Dothan, Alabama, and he's been very involved coming to Mobile to our meetings. And he's a collateral descendant because Boynton didn't have any children. And then Shane Boynton is another one who's been coming. We also found that Palmer Hamilton invited me to his house to see a picture of the minister painting. There was no photography at that time, but he invited me to his house and I took a picture of the painting. His ancestor was William Hamilton, who is the minister, Presbyterian minister, who counseled Boynton in jail. And the painting is beautiful and it still exists today. So there's people on both sides of the spectrum. Who, um, in fact, the ones on Boynton would benefit from it. Uh, and I think that Palmer Hamilton would like to see this happen too, because his ancestor was involved. Boynton was an atheist, but he was very open-minded with the minister. And as I said, he asked him to walk with him to the gallows. Besides all of this, 
two people later made deathbed confessions, and they're usually taken real seriously. One was the landlord, Morgan's landlord. He confessed 12 years after the crime. The second one was a woman named Florence White that was associated with the two, with Frost and with Boynton, more with Frost, of course. And she confessed 60 years after the crime. She called the chief of police, the name was Felder, to her bedside and confessed to him that long after the crime. She said she couldn't go meet her maker with that on her conscience. It had bothered her all these years. There's no proof, but it does make you wonder if those two could have been in cahoots because they did know each other. I'm sure Mobile being as small as it was, it's likely that they knew each other. So the legend and the tree still exists. Uh, they had cleaned up a little bit around the tree and uh, getting the palm taken out. They're just drawing water from the tree. Uh, along with the play, Mike Turner has written the song and he's played it in, in the plays. He's played it twice at the different plays and he's gonna play it again. It's called Moynton's Oak and it's really good. He's a local performer who does very well with his singing and I think you'd like that. There with its truth living on, 
stands for Hinton's Oak. There stands his oak, solid and strong. There stands his oak, as vindication. There stands his oak, it's fact to impart. Born of the truth in his heart. Stands Boynton's Oak. There stands his oak. There stands his oak. The truth stands in Boynton's Oak. And for clarification, the posthumous pardon, it's the posthumous pardon that has, until now, has to be uh, have a racial element to it. And that's what you're trying to get changed in the case of Charles Boyington, correct? understand the way the law reads. And it also has to be, it's got to be posthumous, I guess, because it, the way the law reads now, it can only be done 70 years after the trial. So I would assume that most people by that time would be gone and it would be posthumous. I don't know if it specifies that it's posthumous, we plan to have this play every year. This is the first one. And this time, Dr. Thomas Rowell will be the director. He's a professor of music at the University of South Alabama. Then we don't know yet who the players will be. But the other thing that's interesting is that the Battle House is involved. They're going to transport people from the Battle House to Oakley, and then these people can take this tour. And actually, there's a lot of history in this book, and I've written like skits for each little place that's significant. So hopefully the Oakley Bells, they came before and were at our place. And also the Zeta Tromates, hopefully they will be there and they can maybe get on the trolley and ride with the people and point out these particular places to tell them why they are part of the story. The thing I love about the story of the Boynton Oak is that it's one of those stories where the truth is stranger than fiction. And also what I love about it is how the, the people of Mobile have kept this story going. Yeah. Since, since it happened, I know that I first heard about it or read about it when I looked at Francois Diard's book, The Truth. That's the only book about it, too, that I can find. There's news clips and all these clips and uh, sketches of things I have in my book. But as far as I know, there's no other thing except Diard's book. And it's more uh, didactic documentary. It's not like a story. But now this is called creative nonfiction. It's the fastest growing genre in writing. So all the truths are true, but you couldn't possibly know exactly what somebody said or exactly what the setting and situation was. You have to embellish that a little bit. Now, when was the first play done about Boynton Oak? The first play was uh, March the 13th last year. The second play was October 24th. And then the second play was October 24th last year. 
it was one act at the time I've written the one act play and the three act play but because of the pandemic we have to stick this time with the one act play the time factor and the fact that we only want to have like five actors and actresses because of the distancing and then after this COVID thing is over we can do the three act play but there could be 15 to 20 people in that and that's uh, like Dr. Rowell said, that wouldn't be feasible at the time. So this is done like a setting where you would have the three ghosts in the graveyard and they're going to the minister and Rose de Fleur, the girlfriend. So they are talking about what happened in the past and discussing it amongst themselves. Was this first production, was it done by the Joe Jefferson players? It was Eric Brown, who is the director of Joe Jefferson Players, and I don't think he set it up particularly as one of the activities, just something he was doing himself. It was at Gulf Quay. The second was at Oakley, and Eric really liked the idea of being outside and being at Oakley. And I had someone count, we had about 100 people there, but they were distance, and this will be distance on the grounds. So we'll have a, a suitable setting if necessary. It would be wonderful if this COVID was over by May the 22nd. And we're having two, two days, 22nd and 23rd. I'm glad you're making this an annual event. We'll probably play this radio show in the future and people can look for the play to come up again, whatever year is convenient for them to attend. Right, yeah, and the Mobile has nothing like this event now. I would like to meet with the governor. My editor and I, Shannon Brown, she and I would like to go to Montgomery and meet with the governor and just explain all the details about how this legend and the tree still exists. It's ongoing, and I'm sure this will give it more credence. And with these collateral descendants, they can benefit because it would help clear their name. There's a lot of other mystery to this that it would be too detailed to go into, but the way that we met Preston Boynton, who has been extremely involved, he's gotten the Boynton Oak Society name secured for us. He's doing a web page. He's an IT guy in Dothan. Well, the way we found out about him was that my friend Shannon Brown, who is editor, had a friend, Marie Solomon, who works at the Condi Charlotte House, and we went to see her and talked to him and you know, I got some information in my research I used. <laughs> so she was, Maria's not from Mobile, but uh, the next time we called her, she said, didn't you say that person you're researching is named Boynton? She said, a young man came in here about a week ago and his name was Boynton. And he said he came to see the tree because he was related to the person who committed the crime or allegedly committed the crime. So with all kinds of effort, we went down there, Shannon and I, and we found his name and all it said was Dothan. Well, I couldn't find him. And I, I've worked for newspapers and written columns and have done a lot of research. So I went all over the place in Dothan tried to find him. Finally, I thought, I'm calling the Chamber of Commerce. Well, they didn't know him, but that lady got so intrigued with the story, she found his mother. And through his mother, we got to him. And sure enough, it was him and he, you know, was connected to it. But it was just a real coincidence that we met with her and that she happened to be there because their docents are not there all the time. 
if somebody else had been there, they wouldn't have known. Or they, they might have thought about it, but they might not have even known. I was still in the process of researching. The book wasn't out, but it's it's turned into a really good association. He loves to come. And we do meet at Matt Green's office, 501 Government Street. He was a former judge. And the meetings are open. And- yeah, well, Mary, what is the title of your book? Boynton Oak, A Grave Injustice. The play, the pun, play on the word grave. I had it as a grave legend, and my publisher said, well, would you consider changing it? Because I really hadn't made up my mind whether he was guilty or not. I can sort of say I still haven't. That's why I was stressing that the pardon is based on the trial. So finally, I said, okay, I'll do that, because it's sort of the play on the word grave. I don't know how many people get that. (laughs) It doesn't matter. And then he's in Potter's Field there. Have you been to the site? You probably know then. The wall used to be around Potter's Field, around the tree. It fell and they never put it back. It was Potter's Field, who cares? So they just let it stay back or put rebuilt it around that area. The people from the church park in that parking area. They don't park because there are stakes around there, around Boynton. So, and oh, since we got the sign up, we're as soon as they have cleaned around the tree, they're supposed to get the palm out right away. So, we're gonna try to find plants that will go in there and just survive that don't need much care, low maintenance, and just try to maybe once in a while have some flowers. And we're trying to get a grant so we can have some money to some of these things because without nonprofit status, we don't want to collect dues right now. And even if we did, it wouldn't be enough to cover anything like that. Well, that's the other thing that's compelling about this story is the location of Boynton's Oak, because Church Street Cemetery is one of the, if you could call it, a sacred site of mobile history. Some of the best known mobilians, writers, leaders are buried there. Certain Mardi Gras activities occur there. Tell us just a little bit, I know you worked with Emily Blavos with the Folklife Association and also with the Pomeroy Legends and Lore marker program, but talk a little bit about restoring that marker at the site of Boynton Oak. The marker that was there in 1971, uh, I don't know who put it there, I can't find out, but it was gone. So that's the one we really replaced. Okay, the other one was there from 1905, and this is what's kind of ironic and odd. It was put there by friends of Nathaniel Frost, blaming Boynton for the murder of their friend. They just wanted his name there so they could say, that's the guy that did it. But I don't know what happened to that one either. Well, Mary, we appreciate your efforts in both documenting this legend and, and making it available working on a play, basically educating not only Mobilians, but the rest of us Alabamians about Mobile's heritage. Thank you for joining us, and we appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. That was Joey Brackner talking with Mary Palmer, author and native Mobilian about the legend of Mobile's Boyington Oak. The program also featured the song Boyington's Oak, written and performed by Mike Turner. Alabama Arts is produced by the Alabama State Council on the Arts and the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture. Technical production by Deb Boykin.
This week on Alabama Arts, Joey Brackner talks with author and playwright Mary Palmer. Mary's book and plays recount the legend of Mobile's Boyington Oak. He was, was arrested right away, and then he was convicted of the crime. And when he was hanged for the crime, he was age 19. He said, sooner or later, an oak tree will grow from my grave to prove my innocence. That's Wednesday, 9 p.m. Central on Troy Public Radio. Tonight on Alabama Arts, Joey Brackner talks with author and playwright Mary Palmer. Mary's book and plays recount the legend of Mobile's Boyington Oak. The day Charles left town, Frost was murdered in the Church Street graveyard. It's right near the library for those of you who are not from this area. And he was, was arrested right away and accused of the crime. He got on a boat, got part of the way up to near Claiborne, Alabama, and was arrested there. And then he was convicted of the crime. He wrote poems to Rose while in jail, shackled to the wall. And they were published, though, in the paper. They were so good that the local papers published them. And when he was hanged for the crime, he was age 19. He said, sooner or later, an oak tree will grow from my grave to prove my innocence. But first, the news.